Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? Well, Jude, I'm excited because today we get to summon the guest whose writer brain and love of Moon Knight makes him the perfect match for this episode. We're delighted to welcome JV back to the podcast. Welcome, JV. Welcome. Hey. How's Good it going? Back. Oh, my goodness. I'm so happy to be here, guys. I think we have made so many references throughout this season of, oh, we're going to we're gonna debrief with JB. We're going to debrief with him after the end of this. I've been really looking forward to this, just knowing how much Moon Knight is one of your favorite characters. I got, I actually was, so I took a walk earlier today and I was listening to the episode six pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, pretty early on, Jude mentioned my name and I, and I, yeah. I had a little giddy smile on my face walking down the street. <laughs> That's right. People I'm listening to on my headphones are talking about me. <laughs> oh man! So I am I'm flattered and I'm I'm super excited. Nice. And the challenge today will be brevity because there's <laughs> oh my god, there's so much to talk about. Well, okay. The next step is when you take that walk and you don't do the headphones and you play it loud, so that way somebody <laughs> asks like. Like, hey, you know, what you listen to? It's like me, me on a pod. <laughs> <laughs> you recognize the voice? <laughs> Hasn't happened yet, a, but... I'm going to get like a boom box, like, in, like the 80s and 90s, and just hold it on my shoulder and walk down the street. <laughs> like Radio Raheem and do the right thing. Just going to be like... You know, as much as we talk about merch, Jude, we should start making merch specifically for guests. And it's like, yeah, I'm on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was when I was listening to the Leech one, I was wondering, um, the, how many times has Leech been on? I feel like she's one of the people that's been on the most often. And then I was wondering, do you have a five-timers club like Saturday Night Live has? I think if Leech is not, if that wasn't the five-time, she's... Close. Really that close. Might have been the fourth. I yeah. think Leech has got to yeah. be on the Five Timers Club. If if not, and she was she's fantastic, she's completely like oh, you know, yeah, well deserved. And I mean, so many of the guests that have recurred have been. Oh, all of the guests are great. I mean, I know a lot of them from the Twitch community. Mm-hmm. So it's been mm-hmm. great to go like, oh man, these people that I already enjoyed in you know Twitch chat form are are even more brilliant than I knew. It's been. I mean, everybody, Yeba and TJ and oh my god, it's. It's just been, like, I, I'm in really esteemed company here. <laughs> well, you know, we're going to be talking about Moon Knight later today. But before we jump into that, I just wanted to get a quick thought on how has the 2022 season of the MCU been for you? So we have Multiverse of Madness. We just finished up Moon Knight. But we also got Miss Marvel trailers and Thor Love and Thunder trailer. Uh, is any of those in particular sticking out to you? The the Thor Love and Thunder trailer is still very much on my mind, um, partly because I'm a huge Taika fan, uh, and also because that the the song the Guns N' Roses "Sweet Child of Mine" was a staple of my like childhood, you know, my my like high school years experience, and I have uh, just a ton of like emotional cachet connected to that song. Uh, and, uh, I, I sent it to my mom cause my mom is like bigger than MCU Aww. and, uh, she reminded me that that was the song that she and my brother danced to at his wedding. Oh, cool. Like, his, his, his wedding song choice, you know, for the mother son dance was sweet child of mine by guns and roses. Uh, so she had an even like a, um, you know, a, a, a similar emotional response to that trailer, uh, because of the combination of that incredible song with Taika's 
visuals. Uh, so that's it's become even more special to me since then. Yeah. Uh, Ms. Marvel, I'm also excited about it. It looks very much like a John Hughes-ish kind of a you know yeah. teen comedy adventure, which I'm always up for. Uh, and then I saw Multiverse, and that's all I'll say about it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate not in a, that. Not in a critical that. way, but just because Jude has not seen it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Well, and I tell you what, like I am super pumped for Miss Marvel. That that first trailer, the the animation overlay that kind of like showed the daydreamy teenager um, with the use of the weekend song, it just it sold me. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Jude a TV show called Parker Lewis Can't Lose? Yes. So it was almost like Ferris Bueller ish. This is probably before Trey's time. <laughs> uh, it was a, it's a Ferris Bueller ish uh, teen comedy TV show where the protagonist talked directly to the camera and where they had I'm pretty sure they had animation overlays on that show. Mm-hmm. At least uh, like some kind of expressionistic like. Yeah. film style that they use. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what the Ms. Marvel show puts me in mind of. And that's, it's mm-hmm. all, that's all a good thing. I'm super oh, excited yeah. for that. Yeah. Well, cool. It's always great to check the temperatures of the MCU. And uh, thanks for sharing that. But of course, if you downloaded this episode, you know we're going to be talking about Moon Knight, the season wrap-up. So... In order to do this, I think we might be able to just jump straight into the spoiler zone so that we can go ahead and get into all the details of this season. So you're going to hear an audio cue, and on the other side, it'll be fair game for all spoilers in the MCU. We'll see you on the other side. And we're back. So I think the easiest way we can do this is just to get overall thoughts so starting with you, JB, what did you like most about Moon Knight overall? As as big of a fan, if you can uh, pick it down to a few things. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, so, and this is this was probably this is obvious to anybody who listened to our first um, our first pod, the first pod that I was on, where we talked. We we had just seen the trailer, and I talked about what I expected out of Moon Knight. Um, I didn't get what I expected. Which was uh, full on horror. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. looking forward to the the real, you know, the the horror MCU mm-hmm. that that Moon Knight comes out of in the comics tradition. Um, so I was not given what I expected, but what I was given is my favorite MCU show to date. Yes, uh, for completely different reasons. For reasons that you know. A lot of it is Oscar Isaac, so it's sort of half expected because, I mean, I've been, I was already a fan, a uh, big fan of the film Inside Lewin Davis, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. he's phenomenal in. Great Coen Brothers film. Um, so, and but then there were other things that I just wasn't expecting. There, there, there was an angle that they took to tell the story that I didn't really see coming, and it, it won me over. So I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'll be patient and wait for Blade or Ghost Rider <laughs> or whatever, you know, where we get it full on, get into the MCU horror yeah. universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. This, well, uh, episode you, five. Sorry, Jude. No, I, I was going to say is, is you mentioned the Blade. And I remember at one time there was a rumor that Blade was going to show up in this and, and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and seeing that 
through the process, how you had the, some of the MCU connections that were supposed to be in there, they got cut. I'm really glad though, that they just, just dove into this and let it mm. stand on its own and really kind of explore, uh, that world. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was, so it was, it was weird. It was, there were, um, the, the first episode was pretty like had some pretty strong horror elements in it. So I was, I felt like they were on the track that I expected. Uh, and then it went in a completely different direction and it lost me briefly mm-hmm. and then it mm. won me back. And then episode five, and I think Jude mentioned this too, and on Instagram or something, um, is my favorite episode of MCU television to date. Mm-hmm. Just pretty much hands down. I love all, I like all of the shows. There's not an MCU show that I don't like. Um, I would only exclude the Netflix daredevil show because daredevil is my favorite character of all time. Mm-hmm. And I think that show is my favorite show period. But it's, I, even though I know it's like been recanonized, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's it still sits outside of the mm-hmm. Disney Plus, oh, yeah. you know, uh, canon. Yeah. So, excluding the Daredevil, <clears throat> the first season of the Daredevil TV show, Moon Knight's my favorite MCU show to date. Yeah. A couple of things. I'm so glad this ended up being your favorite show. Whenever we did the Hawkeye wrap-up, we were with Sean from The Captioned Life, and that was his favorite Disney Plus show. Oh, so, cool. I'm trying to like hedge my bets whenever we get guests for the wrap up to make sure that it's their favorite show because the excitement <laughs> that comes through whenever we're discussing the season, the entirety is uh, really nice. Oh my God. So no no pressure from Miss Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just find out, you know, which, which uh, member of the community is bananas about. Ms. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I did want to circle back to, you mentioned the what you were expecting versus what you got. I think whenever I sat down to write my answers for the what was what did I like most overall, I found myself wanting to reach for that horror element, but it's not quite there. Like it feels like the right. MCU's still flirting with it. Mm-hmm. But for as close as we got to horror, I think it really leaned into at least creepy. Like if we come down a step oh, yeah. down, I think it nailed that creepy and weird nature of the show and to me i feel like that was one of the 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 strengths of it of you didn't quite have a grasp on what was going on and it was just kind of keeping you on your back foot the entire time all the way through to the end maybe to a fault in some some regards but i think the the level at which it wasn't afraid to be weird i think was one of the most charming aspects of the show yeah, and we'll that's I think we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um but the weirdness was was one of the big draws for me. It's 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 pretty it's only a few degrees removed from the horror. Mm-hmm. And some of the some of the weird was horrific and some of it was just weird. Um <laughs> and I say that as a positive. Yeah. Because uh I and I don't want to overstate this because I thought about this a lot when I was rewatching yesterday. But uh, I, 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 as much as I love uh, Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. and as much as I love Civil War, uh, these movies are based on comic books, and I mm-hmm. don't want every movie to be as beholden to reality as Winter mm-hmm. Soldier and Civil War is. I want weird, you know. <laughs> I want Ghost Rider with his head on fire. You know, I want 
over-the-top visual weirdness with the same, you know, the, the trademark MCU humanity and, and the sort of emotional reality uh, grounding it the way episode five of, of Moon Knight did. So listen to you talk and I mean, a question popped to mind that I want to ask you. So being your, your, your favorite MCU show and everything you're saying you, you, you really liked about this. What is it that when you watch the show as a writer that you're thinking, okay, I'm taking that and how, and like, how do, how do I make that work in, in something I'm working on or, or something? Like what, what is the thing that, you, that as a writer just, just jumped out and you thought, Oh, this, uh, this is great. I got to do this somehow. Uh, that's a, that's a great question. And it's not, not something that I, I had asked myself specifically or in those terms exactly, but, um, it's, it is the, the spinning of multiple plates successfully. Mm-hmm. So this and um, asking, make putting you on your back foot, like Trey said, in a couple of different ways. Uh, and I like um, uh, before we got on, we were talking about the show Severance on Apple TV, uh, mm-hmm. and the I, the idea of shows that make you question what is real and what is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the great thing about Moon Knight to me is it's asking that question from a couple of different angles. So we have the, the DID angle, which is, you know, what is objective reality and what is in Stephen's head. And then we have the greater, uh, the, the greater MCU sort of angle, which is like, well, you know, how far, you know, are these gods, you know, literal gods, you know, they're like science versus myth sort of angle. Uh, and then there was, uh, the, the sort of, the uh what are the words for this it's sort of the i guess the visual side of it would, would is quite often left us asking what's real and what's not mm-hmm. so basically they were sort of attacking <laughs> from multiple different angles and asking us like what is real well is the is the asylum real is the and well what is real you know it it, it just really it it asks questions from so many different angles that you you don't really um, you don't really have time to go like okay let's just like think about in terms of his mental mm-hmm. illness what is he experiencing objectively and what is just in his head because you're also wondering about you, that in the terms of, of MCU terms and you know the gods of the MCU yeah um, so it's sort of the idea of like keeping you guessing. In, in multiple different uh, layers, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. asking mm-hmm. the question in from multiple different angles, so that you are you're you're immersed in the, the question and answer game that they give mm-hmm. you. Um, that is that's always my favorite kind of writing when you've got mm-hmm. like, um, you know, it's not it's not just a point by point hero's journey where you know, mm-hmm. okay, you know, here this is where the hero is and this is what they're going to do next. It's like, well, well why did they do that you know or what what is what is this force that is compelling them in this direction and is it real is it objective and and if it's not objective do other people share the same kind of impetus in in the world that they inhabit 
So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get, basically just comes back to like sp- spinning plates. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. you're not focusing on one plate spinning. You've got three, four plates spinning at a time, mm-hmm. which is super entertaining. Yeah, know, and, and keeps you from being too critical in a, in a in a good way. Right, and it immerses you in a good way. Mm-hmm. So, typical long answer to a great question. Oh no, I love it. <laughs> but, but it was I, inspiring I, in that way, big way. No, yeah, big way. I can't help but think of one of the common praises I remember in those first two weeks is how flawlessly that it was able to shift tones almost on a dime in some points where it could be it could be horror and creepy or it could just be straight up goofy and then go right into action and so using the the plate analogy i think is a great way to describe how this show is able to juggle a lot of different angles at once mm-hmm. yeah it's always sort of being a few steps ahead of the viewer mm-hmm. you know instead of writing by numbers you know, clearly this happens and then this, which causes this, which causes this. It's, it's asking, forcing us to ask questions that we didn't expect to ask. And and that, that sort of question coming from angles we didn't expect. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, I believe like the, the viewers are savvier than a lot of filmmakers think they are. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. what makes a bad movie quite often is underestimating the viewer. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah. Sony verse. <laughs> Are you not part of the, uh, wait, wait. the summer of Morbius? <laughs> Can you call well, it? It was more like a week, uh, half a week of Morbius. Uh, the only, <laughs> a weekend <stop>. at Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, I, well, I tell you what's interesting. One of the shows I really love, um, Orphan Black. And and the way I describe Orphan Black is is I I imagine their writers room like Dungeons and Dragons role play style because it felt like every character had a sense of agency. Mm-hmm. It's like you know where the story's going because you're used to those beats. But when this and you're like okay this character's gonna make that deci- this uh, decision A, but then they don't make that decision. But it's mm-hmm. totally in line and. And, and I see what you mean. Like they, they did that here with moon Knight, where it's like, no, this is what should have been made, but they allowed Steven to do something different or mm-hmm. Mark to do something different. Um, even Harrow sometimes didn't quite do what you thought, uh, or Layla. And so, and so I like it when, when each character has that agency because it, it takes the story in a, in a, Unexpected way. Yeah. Orphan Black, brilliant show. Mm-hmm. One, of my, one of my favorites. And and a show that was inspiring in the same way of just being, you know, if it's a chess game, the writers of that show are several moves ahead of where we are. Oh, as yeah. An yeah. I love to be kept guessing. Mm-hmm. I love to be, you know, there, there there's a balance of question. You know, there's a ratio of questions to answers that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. so that you don't fall into season three lost territory um <laughs> you know um but a show like orphan black i think kept that balance beautifully through its entire run which is mm-hmm. super impressive. oh yeah 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 i'm glad you bring that up because a few weeks ago we did the uh the doctor strange uh retrospective review and i listened to the director's commentary and i've i've speaking of things that have just like stayed with me for a while 
his description of like audiences don't want too much answers. Like there is a mm. limit to how much you can like feed them before they're like, okay, I got it. And then they just move forward with it when it comes to mystical and, and magical stuff. So I, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you were saying. Yeah. I think there's like, the, you can ask too many questions and not give enough answers as well, which mm-hmm. is, you know, lost stumbled with a few different times. Uh, I'm kind of a lost apologist. I didn't hate the ending. I there's, there's so much in lost to love for me that I let some of the stuff slide, but I, I acknowledge that, you know, it gets, it loses its way here mm-hmm. and there. Uh, but I do, I think it's, a, I think it's a very careful ratio. How many answers do we give per questions that we raise? It's funny looking at my notes <laughs> for moon Knight. It's uh, the, the notes are sort of like observations and then notes on um, like visual style and little hints that the Easter eggs they put in the background and stuff. And then as they get further into the episode, it's question marks question marks and then by episode five and six it's just like a big list of questions <laughs> <laughs> like wait what oh, man. uh but you know because this show which now that we're on the spoiler end of things uh leaves us with a lot of questions but mm-hmm. i don't think it leaves us with too many mm-hmm. i think it's a great balance of the answers that we got versus things that we've yet to understand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I remember that was kind of like the feeling I had in our the sixth episode review of like, I want more. Like, I just like it left <laughs> yeah. me wanting yeah. more. Uh, but uh, pivoting over to you, Jude. What uh, I don't know if I got a, a direct answer. What what did you like most of, about Moon Knight overall? You know what I, I mentioned this in the other show and thought about it. I I actually liked the separation from the rest of the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it, and knowing that going in, because I feel like it gave me a sense of just, I'm just going to watch and enjoy. I, I wasn't worried about, well, go all the way to WandaVision when that's the first thing you get after what a year almost, uh, with quarantine. And it's just like, you expect everything to happen and Same thing with Loki. Like, oh, how wild is this going to get? Who's going to show up? Who's not going to show up? How are they going to do the connections? Hawkeye clearly was connections to previous stuff, but it was still his story and Bishop's story and kind of minimal. So it's like having that is something I really, really enjoyed. Um, And also it goes to this headspace that I've been thinking about of like, of like having, how do I reset my MCU brain? You know, in, in terms of like, we from Iron Man to the Avengers, you know, and how those built to the team up, and then everything really became interwoven. And in resetting my brain to where I'm not expecting that and allowing them at this point to give us a Moon Knight, give us Shang-Chi, give us, you know, these characters in, in a build up again. Yeah, I'm fascinated with the way that you have put it as resetting your MCU brain, because you you set that question last week of like, was it um, an additive that this is its own standalone thing? And I've been thinking about it a lot and I pair it with a question. This is this has been off podcast talks, but it was something that I was trying to pitch to you, Jude, as like maybe a, a an episode. But like, mm-hmm. will the MCU ever move past 
or at least the objective being the Avengers. Because if from my limited comic book knowledge, the Avengers are in the MCU, but it's not always the the big storyline. Like there are there are characters that just kind of hang out and do their own thing, and that kind of feels like what Moon Knight is. So mm-hmm. I I really appreciated the standalone nature is in terms of how how best to put for example like i remember whenever we'd go through a lot of those other shows the question was always like oh well maybe we can't get the trailer to this next movie because something happens in this show that we can't see until the trailer that was never like really a question for moon knight moon knight was just Mm -hmm. bopping along to its own beat and i think that made it a stronger standout from the rest of the mcu and I, I think it was necessary to a degree for the story that they're telling in Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. Is your like once again to go back to the way Trey put it? And I really like it. It kept you on your back foot. Like it really did. Not knowing wh- when this happened in the context of the MCU timeline, you know, not not at least having a real specific, you know, and when and what is his relationship to the events of the big movies and the things that have come before mm-hmm. helped the the sort of rootless feeling that you're supposed to have when you watch this show you know you're you're, you're really supposed to be in steven's you know footprints a lot of the time mm-hmm. and steven is you know he's 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 um unbuoyed you know he's kind of bouncing from thing to thing because he's, he's he's not in control of his own life so to not give us a very specific mcu tom and place setting adds to that feeling of like you know what's real mm-hmm. and, you know what will will the you know some kind of objective avengers thing show up you know just a, another question that just fed right into the themes of of the story that they were telling i recommended this show to my brother and i don't my brother likes all kinds of different stuff but i generally if it's like something that requires you to know a lot about comics or requires you to follow the you know most of the the mcu movies even like WandaVision, I didn't recommend to him just because I do think WandaVision sort of builds on things that happen in the in the movies. But I just I texted him yesterday and I was like, uh, you know, you don't need to know the movies or comics or the character to really enjoy Moon Knight. And that's one of the things that one of the reasons why it's my favorite show. Yeah, I uh, as big as the MCU has gotten in the last two years, that that has to be a consideration in developing these new shows. Because if everything keeps building off each other at a certain point, it's going to be a hard barrier of entry for people. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I think this is a, that's a a whole different game of chess that the Marvel producers have to play. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's impressive, you know, because when, because I, I, I like the interconnectedness of the MCU and I like uh, particularly the movies to some extent, all being team movies or at mm-hmm. least all being universe affecting movies, mm-hmm. you know, as much as I loved uh, far from home, which is a little bit insular. If you remove the Tony stuff, um, no way home operated on a whole other level. It was added two, mm-hmm. three more plates to spin, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a big fan of that. But I do think there there should be a space for these stories that are removed from that, mm-hmm. and you know, Disney Plus is the place, maybe. Yeah. So it feels like we're getting ready to move into the next question. 
But you keep referencing the chess game. And I'm very curious. I've been trying to figure out where I wanted to ask this, but you texted in the group message that when you were rewatching that first episode, you were like, they left so many clues in oh that opening God. episode. I feel like these might be in your notes. What what are some of the clues that uh, that stood out to you in that first episode? So the, um, the he literally uh, there's he's hand, when he's in the museum. I, th- I think it's before he goes into the stockroom. He's handed a bunch of stuff, and mm-hmm. there's a towerette. There's uh, an abshanti. Oh wow! Yeah, like just laying there. Uh, and, uh, there's like the posters of the, and then he gets into the stock room and there's the posters of the Indian. They almost give us every mythological element of the story to come in like the first 10 minutes of episode one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's all just <laughs> seeded very carefully, like as background and, and in, in the museum. I mm-hmm. specifically went back and watched that first episode again because of that text. And I noticed that there was like an alligator in the box of plushes as well. Yeah. The, the one that got me was in his apartment. Whenever we get a shot of Gus, the goldfish, the same boat that Tarwerit drives or mounts in the afterlife is the same boat in his aquarium. Which oh, was like, see, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. yeah. So you are spot on that they are just laying the groundwork <laughs> in that first episode. Um, it's literally he's he's given up like he's handed a bunch of boxes and like on that box is a scarab tawaret oh it's atop a box of Egyptian puzzles <laughs> <laughs> like that's what they're they're labeled Egyptian puzzles which is the story we are entering is an Egyptian puzzle I mean it's so it's so meta that it's crazy to go back and look at it so that's not name? even to mention the cinematography sorry. I say, to, I say, did he name the? Because I remember looking at the poster and they started talking about how they they got the got it wrong, and it was missing two gods. Did they name which two was missing on the poster? He named some gods. I don't think he specifically names who's not there. Yeah, I don't think he does. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know why that was other than you know this is the Indian you're going to get in the show mm-hmm. but as far as why there are gods quote unquote missing i don't know that's a question i think Listen, that we were with that four by five ratio was just really hard to work with you can only fit <laughs> so much in on a graphic you gotta make some cuts here and there <laughs> apologies to the marketing people <laughs> of the british museum <laughs> and i yeah i mean muhammad diab put such a stamp on this show visually there Mm -hmm. were like i was i was saying before we started recording that i was writing down or taking notes uh every time i noted some kind of visual you know wink and i had to stop because there were just too many Mm -hmm. i mean they Mm -hmm. are just pyramids are everywhere one of my favorite ones is when he reaches into the the wall in his apartment and finds Mark's hidden stuff. Mm-hmm. The shot is from inside the hole in the wall, and it's a pyramid. Mm. You're looking at Stephen through a pyramid, which I, which is just one of like a hundred different little notes like that. And then another one that I noticed, which was my favorite, is when he's, I guess it's episode two when he's talking to JB. My namesake, <laughs> fellow <laughs> fellow baby otter video lover. Listen, you were you were excited that we mentioned you on the podcast that's nothing <laughs> what moon knight mentioned you <laughs> <laughs> i felt like they like somebody that was on that writing staff must have been one of my customers when i worked in retail because that's basically 
I did my job the same way JB in the show does his, which is <laughs> slackly <laughs> <laughs> looking at videos and stuff. Mm. Uh, but but there's a there's a beautiful beautifully framed shot where he is talking to JB and Stephen is situated between you know museums have the directional arrows mm-hmm. to go this way go that way he's standing center between an arrow, one arrow on his left pointing left and arrow on his right pointing right he is visually you know in the center of which way you're going to go Stephen and Mohammed Diab is. I can't wait to see more of his work, honestly, because I was just blown away by the the way this was directed, mm-hmm. from the emotional acting stuff to the cinematography to the to the shots to the the visual tone, the production design, which I mean is a is another person whose name I should know. Every, everything in the show served the themes, and then that is to me that's magic. I mean that's that's really, I think it was I think it's Paul Schrader who said. Uh, when you're writing and you're lost, always go back to the theme. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I, it's like one of the like little like writerisms that I keep in my head. And and I saw that all throughout Moon Knight. Everything serves the tone, serves the questions that are being asked, serves Stephen's character. Uh, it's just everything is just so integrated from top to bottom that it's it's just a masterful piece of work. I really like that. Really like that. I know you've got me thinking back on some of the visual storytelling and because there was an interview with Mohamed Diab that came out uh, within the last few days where he talked about like, this is a show that will be rewarded on not just the second time round, but the third and fourth time, because there are so many things like what you have just pointed out. It makes me want to go back and re-examine not only for the visual storytelling, but the from that angle of what is or isn't real, there is almost an exact same shot in the mental ward in episode five, I believe where Tar Webbit is talking to Steven and Mark and the way he has positioned the camera or whoever was directing that particular episode, Steven is on one side of the intersection of the hallway and Mark is on the other section of the hallway. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so yeah, there's, one you're talking about. yeah, there's so many like visual flourishes like that, that are just peppered throughout. There was, I know you guys mentioned that wonderful shot in the pilot where he's talking to Crawley Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's shot like, uh, in a puddle. So the reflection is, is the puddle and there's even like a, there's a crescent moon right there, um, which is such a beautiful shot. And I was so taken with that shot the first time I saw it that I didn't note that Steven, when he leaves says, see you on a flip flop. Oh wow! Which is mm-hmm. even in that little bit of dialogue is a it's serving the same theme and the same mm-hmm. you know question mm-hmm. that yeah. that shot is serving. Yeah, and what I love about that shot too is just they it's it's very symmetrical in the way it's framed between Stephen. Um, oh, the guy's name again, Crawley. Uh, Stephen Crawley. And even the fountain, it's it's super symmetrical. But on on one side of the screen, it's like busy and chaos. You know, a, a lot of people, a lot of things going on. And the other side, it was just very subdued and calm. Even little things like that were, were so wonderful. It's it becomes meta. It really mm-hmm. becomes like you, the audience, and Stephen almost become inseparable in some of these moments. You know, like, uh, another note that I took is when, you know, when he's trying to get to sleep or when he's trying to stay awake and he's laying in the bed with a Rubik's cube and stuff and he's listening to the tape 
it's the tape is saying solving puzzles is a great way to keep your mind awake and then imagine being in the story you're reading mm-hmm. like that is directed to us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's talking to steven but it's talking to us as well which is just it's so intelligent and it's so you know that it, there's so much commitment put into this show from top to bottom Mm-hmm. Well, the reason's my favorite. And th- and that's one of the things I found fascinating about this is is it's we we circle around what's real, what's real and and, and asking those questions and and part of me wants to say as I understand DID and how it was portrayed in this show Mark and Steven are both real. You know, mm-hmm. and and, and and yeah, you can say Jake as well, but for for the purposes of what we've we've done, just those two, and and so Mark is just as real as Steven and vice versa, and so it's it's hard to and and when they switch, you're not quite sure they have those those moments where what just happened, what's going on, mm-hmm. and and so in in that sense, the even for our protagonist, you know, they don't know or what's real if that makes sense themselves um, and not in a, Oh, is it in my head kind of way, but literally it's like, how did I get here? What? Like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, kind of thing. And, and so that's something else that I just really find um, just fascinating the way they were able to play with that. Yeah. I mean, even all those mirrors, mm-hmm. you know, we're literally half the time. We don't know that we're looking into a mirror. So we're not looking at the quote unquote real thing. Right, we're looking at a reflection mm-hmm. of it, and I love that point about Stephen and Mark both being real because I think, and I'm far from a, an expert on psychology. I know, you know, I mean, I, I know my own, you know, trauma, <laughs> my <laughs> own, my own mental illnesses, but I'm not an expert on the DSRM or anything like that. But as I understand it, when when there is a division of personality like there is in DID, the the goal. And it's not a cure, but the goal is to integrate. So it's not as if, you know, either of those personalities is superfluous. It's just that they have like the traits of the individual are split between the two of them. So what you want is for them to ultimately become one being with all of the traits of both of those people mm-hmm. and working in union and harmony. So like I, that, I love the way that you phrase that they, they, they are both real, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I think you just helped piece together something for me because I texted you about this, Jude, of I feel like this show is the best demonstration of self-compassion that mm. the MCU mm-hmm. shows have shown so far uh, to the point where like I, we, I talked about it. Loki kind of gets that credit, but because it moved into the romantic love, that's where it kind of like lost me on the self-love. This, because Mark and Steven's whole purpose was learning to accept each other. And by, again, my understanding of DID, the each other is the same self and that kind of integration that you were talking about, JB, to me, that was like at the core of the show. And bringing in the other part of what you two were talking about with reflections and what is real and what is not real, despite all the bizarre nature of quote-unquote reality, the afterlife, the superhero nature, whatever, the one true real thing they had was each other. And the fact that they're able to have that self-compassion, then there is no 
quote unquote reality they can't conquer. And I, to me, that's just a beautiful storytelling device with that, uh, <laughs> with Stephen and Mark. And evidenced so beautifully in that moment in episode five or six, where they see each other in the in the asylum as separate beings and they hug. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is that like oh thank God we have each other mm-hmm. moment, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. We don't know what's real. We don't know if we're alive or dead. We you know we have nothing to hold on to except each other. And they literally you know embrace. And you knowing that behind the scenes stuff too that Oscar Isaac acted with his brother. Oh, yeah. uh, Mike Hernandez a lot of the time. Um, he added a whole nother layer of, of layer of like emotionality and specialness to those scenes too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I loved that, that um, Michael got to be a part of that show and apparently even contributed some lines here and there, which is cool. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. The uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die in an evil magician's man cave. It's <laughs> <laughs> apparently suggested by Michael Oscar Isaac's brother. I'm desperately trying to remember what they had a code name for his quote unquote Mark Spector. And I can't remember oh. what it Oh yeah. Mork Sphincter. Yes, yes, that's right. That's right. That's exactly I just read this article like yesterday. Uh-huh. That's how I can remember. Yeah, Mork Sphincter was yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, Michael in the in the interview he said, uh, uh Mork Sphincter lives on in me. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, for the magician line and Mork Sphincter, it was a wonderful addition to have his brother in the show. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, if you've, if you've seen Mike Hernandez, he's a little thicker mm-hmm. than Isaac. And I think there are times you can tell when, oh. they, when they're shooting the back of his... His neck is a little wider than, than Oscar's. But I think it's only if you knew to look for it. Is that, you know, that's the only way you'd see it, I think. Mm-hmm. But I just, I just love that idea. and how do you not love work sphincter i know right like that's that's if they still did one shots they they would have to do something with that (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) well like i said it does feel like we're kind of moving into the next point but i just want to get a read real quick was there any any final thoughts on the positives overall for moon knight before we move on oh god (laughs) i know you could probably keep going for everything (laughs) Uh, I think of, well, let me, you know what? Yeah, the show itself, I think that I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I've pretty well covered. There's just tons of little things like the, to just, just because we were talking about the visual notes, there's a couple of umbrella Academy references, like visual references, like the, the key to the, um, storehouse, the storage place where Mark keeps his gun and stuff mm-hmm. is a little umbrella hook. Oh, uh, and then I also noticed that. In, I think it's episode six in the asylum, there is a, a stand uh, behind Mark that is uh, an umbrella stand. It's got a white umbrella in it. Okay. So as a fan of the Umbrella Academy and knowing that Jeremy Slater came from that show, I was sort mm-hmm. of on the lookout for little, little nods, and I I thought that I, I found a few. That's really cool. Yeah. So I was going to say, I'll prompt one more thing, because it feels like of all the, the things we've talked about, one of the th- aspects we haven't is, and I'll combine it into one, Conshu uh, and Jake Lockley. How how did you feel they nailed that aspect of the show this season? I think, I mean, I, I it was it was the greatest, it was the greatest post-credits sequence <laughs> possible for this story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I selfishly wanted Jake, to come out earlier 
But it, when we got that post credit sequence, I was like, oh, I retract all of my complaints, all of my, you know, my petty wants. You know, I didn't, he, I wanted him to come out of the sarcophagus. He didn't, but now I don't care. I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, um, I have a lot of questions Yeah. about Jake, you know, when did he originate, you know, is, is he a splinter is possibly Mark splintering off from Jake, you know, how does he factor into the weighing of the hearts, which I think is a, is a big question. Uh, most, when you, when you talk about Jake, mostly I have questions, but I was just, I was, I was very happy to see him in that post credit. And to me, and maybe I'm just, you know, wishing you know, wishing makes it so uh, <laughs> but i'm hoping for a second season or at least to see more of the development of, of moon knight in the future including jake yeah my my guess is september uh d23 we'll get it get the moon knight 2 announcement yeah jude and i have a bit of a running bet going on right now where i said by the end of may we will hear a confirmation and he's placing it on one of this year's conventions is where they will announce it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, D twenty three is a good bet, I think. Yeah, I was thinking San Diego, but it, I I don't think it's going to be San Diego. They're going to they'll, they'll hold that to the D twenty three. When uh, when was when did Loki pivot? Like when did they announce that there was going to be a second season of Loki? The was it tag. in the that was the in, that was the that was at the end of the credits? I'm not going to call it an in tag. Did it say like Loki <laughs> um, will return in season two or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, I was a little surprised that we didn't get a similar thing, right? That we we yeah. clearly got an indication there is more story to tell, um, but we didn't get a hard. There will be a season two, and you know, uh, uh, maybe it'll be Blade, and maybe it'll be Werewolf by Night. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it'll be a different show where we get more Moon Knight. Maybe That's there won't be true. a Moon Knight season two. Yeah. Well, and I'm and, okay and, as long as there's. I get more Moon Knight. I don't care what you call the show. <laughs> well, I tell you what. Can I? Can I? Can I kind of answer the biggest disappointment? Yeah, let's go ahead and just jump into mm-hmm. the next section. And, and the only reason I want to say that is, is that my biggest disappointment is going to be if if what happens is what you just said. Because, like, oh, really? Jude doesn't want we, more. Well, no, 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 no. Like, like I want more, but I want it in a season two. If mm-hmm. it, if it shows up in somewhere else, like, like there's so many questions that you just mentioned of of Jake Lockley. Um, wait a minute, did Conchu leave only Mark and Steven? and so that's why. He was still there when Jake showed up, or did like Jake have to somehow show up and then Conchu get back in to the body? Like, like to me, there's so many questions there that if you, I'm I'm gonna call it the the Hulk treatment, right? Like if if you have him show up somewhere else to try to talk about and answer those questions, um, I just don't think it's gonna be satisfying the way we end up with Smart Hulk. And, and so that that would be my biggest disappointment is if they don't have that season two, mm-hmm. at least. I, I definitely, I felt that disappointment as well. Like, I, as, as much as I loved that in that post-credit sequence, I did feel, I, I, my immediate thought was, okay, well, if they're not going to announce a season two, then that might mean we're going to get it in 
some other form. And that thought did come with some disappointment because mm-hmm. I do think that there's, there are big questions to be answered. Um, but one of the things that I was thinking about rewatching the show is it's actually pretty presumptuous of us to assume that this show was going to have an end because this is really mm-hmm. introducing a character into the MCU. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, where you know where they were not going to solve quote unquote you know solve or cure his DID. Oh yeah, because that takes away the most special element of the character. Yeah, right. And if we want to see Moon Knight in an Avengers film or whatever, we want to see you know we don't want to see him just as you know Batman. We don't mm-hmm. want to see just another guy in a suit throwing punches. You know, yeah. take, we don't want the, the specialness taken out of that character. Yeah. So I, it just, you know, and then the other thing is Oscar Isaac is an in-demand guy. Oh, yeah. He's super busy. He's so talented that I want to see him do 15 other completely different things. Mm-hmm. And if, the, if that is a factor in him not immediately doing a Moon Knight Season 2 or, or maybe us not getting a Moon Knight Season 2 in the traditional sense... You know, I can accept that. I can I can sort of grudgingly accept that just because mm-hmm. of Oscar Isaac is such a gift and such a, a talent as an actor. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, physicist friend T Woodshop worker TJ said that to me in terms of like, yeah, MCU, Marvel, Feige, they play the long game. They really right. try, you know, and so it's like you can't, because I think it was one of his students who were like, they didn't really solve anything. He's like, they, they played the long game, just, just like you were saying. Um, and so that's why I think not getting that second season is what would be that disappointment of like, no, you're playing a long game and I'm with you. Let's play that long game, but play it. Don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, actually play the game. Well, to, to jump in real quick, I whenever I was doing the show notes for last week, I was looking for some of the articles we talked about, and I'm still trying to figure out more information. But from what I gather, this idea of a limited series spawned from Ethan Hawke. I couldn't find any concrete Hmm. details of any of the other creators mentioning that this was a a limited series run. And in Ethan Hawke's case, everything's a limited series if your character dies. So like, (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine why he's out there referring to it that way. But there's also conflicting messages where I believe Mohamed Diab said something to the extent of like, oh yeah, I could see Oscar Isaac in the MCU for the next 10 years. So Mm -hmm. I, I like the way you said it's presumptuous of us to assume that this is it because I feel like there might be a little bit of mixed messages on that, that terms of there not being more. So just wanted to come in with that little contextual information. Yeah, I I, uh, I I did a similar, I didn't do an exhaustive search, but I tried to find verification of that as mm-hmm. well. Like, did they ever say it was, this is fun, final, you know, did they ever say, Oz, uh, you know, Oscar is out after six episodes? And I couldn't find indication either way. Yeah, what I, did, I think- What I did see was producers, a few different producers saying, depends on how well the show does. Like how well it right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how how Trey made a little money uh, <laughs> with his fingers yeah <laughs> uh, but uh, and and I think I think that they made that decision late in the airing of the show to continue the story in some way mm-hmm. I think it'd be great you know and if it's if it comes down to Oscar's schedule 
generally a film wouldn't take as long. So I'd be okay with a Moon Knight film that picks up some of these questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, if I could jump on this idea of not being a continuation, I think one of my biggest disappointments is... And I want to I want to say this carefully because I am happy with what we got in lieu of this, but because this was an introductory character or an introductory show, I would have loved to have seen more of the Moon Knight action side. Like I wouldn't trade it for any of the emotional core that we got with them in the psych ward. But selfishly, as cool as some of those scenes were when we got to see Moon Knight in action, I am dying to see more of the the clever ways that they bring in that aspect. Because I know the talk of like, oh, he's Batman. Batman doesn't get speared as much as that and still right. gets up. So mm-hmm. I, the way that they made Moon Knight such a lethal force, I thought, was was interesting. And I would have liked to have seen more of it. And the dichotomy of adding Mr. Knight as an action you know, half of the action mm-hmm. separates him from Batman in a cool way. Yeah. So, in fact, I think Mr. Knight's action scenes are my favorite. Oh, Steven oh, Mr. Yeah. Knight. Yeah. Got I don't, be- I don't think he's actually, I don't think he's actually Mr. Knight. Really? The, the Mr. Knight in the comics is a very different character. So I say that because it's, that's the suit. It's the, the Mr. Knight suit is the suit <laughs> that he's wearing. I know that nobody calls him Mr. Knight in the run of the show. Uh, so I don't, think you know in specific you know comic book name you know in the in the discussion of comic book names i don't think that's technically mr knight Mm -hmm. but it is it is steven's incarnation of the healing suit whatever you want to call it psycho Mm -hmm. colonel sanders or whatever (laughs) (laughs) so in this biggest disappointment section Pivoting to you, JB, other than my pronunciation of Haro. <laughs> oh, well, wait a minute. See, I was just going to wait for you to like mispronounce it and then jump on it. Did you see how uh, I, I did Ethan Hawke <laughs> instead of Haro? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I didn't, I didn't realize that was a swerve. Well played, sir. Uh, no, but I noticed that Jude pronounced it correctly earlier. Jude mm-hmm. said Harrow. Uh, and I was, uh, I've been listening to the, the pods and I just love the fact that you keep saying it wrong <laughs> and the guests are also, including Jude are also polite that they say it wrong <laughs> so that you don't feel like you've said it wrong. <laughs> Everyone has been saying horror, horror, and it's, it's, it's not like it's on the page and we didn't hear it said like it's Harrow. So yeah, like when you're hauling leaves, do you do you haul them in a wheelbarrow? <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow. So that's what I was gonna ask. I was I've been so looking forward to roasting Trey on this. You know for like what? Two weeks. It's, hey, gif, jif, harrow, borrow. All right, no, listen. It's freedom of choice. Uh, you know, I'm completely <laughs> and your okay with to roast. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm com- listen. I'm if if that's the way that. Troy and Jade want to do their podcast. <laughs> okay. So just to chime in here. I'm so proud of that one. Uh, that was good. One. That was good. That's a really good one. Uh, you texted me, was it two weeks ago? When you were like, hey, you keep mispronouncing this wrong. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about it a little bit. I was like, all right, save it for the show. 
Yeah. You have no idea. Well, two things. Whenever we recorded last week for episode six, I was like, I'm not going to correct it yet because I want to give JB the opportunity to mess with me. <laughs> but even when I would go to talk, I don't know what it is. I can hear it in my head as Harrow. Every time I speak, it comes out as Harrow. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, you you correct yourself. You start to say Harrow. You've done this. You start to say Harrow and you go Harrow. <laughs> and I don't. Like, if a street is not wide enough, do you say, oh, this is a narrow street? <laughs> I got no defense. <laughs> I and just I work say, here. <laughs> I should say that to the to listeners that don't know me as <laughs> well, that this is all done in love and that I, I've been friends <laughs> with Trey for years now. And This is nothing compared to how I would roast him on the streams. No. On the Twitch streams. <laughs> this, is, this is a very, very gentle roasting compared to the twitch days yeah yes. some, one time someone told me that i was john leguizamo's worst decision <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> i had a one of my favorite like one of my proud comedic moments of my life was was i was i was actually at home uh in savannah for christmas and you were streaming and i just didn't have time to hang out in the stream but i just popped in and our friend lacia finley was in the chat uh, and, uh, and also you were playing Breath of the Wild, which we had this whole thing about, uh, Breath of the Wild versus Red Dead Redemption 2. It's mm-hmm. like our, our little banter thing. Uh, and I popped into your stream and I said, Trey, I don't have a lot of time, but I just wanted to pop in and say hello to my favorite streamer. Hi, Lacia. <laughs> and then I said, have fun playing Red Dead Redemption 2. And I bounced. <laughs> and Trey's laughter stuck with me the entire day. I was like, I, I know I did good because I broke Trey. Or, sorry, Troy. <laughs> oh, man. Well, getting us back. I appreciate you holding on to that for me. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm glad. I, I knew you had something coming. The wheelbarrow, I did not expect. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, getting back to the subject. <laughs> As, as painful as it might be, what is your biggest disappointment of the show? That there weren't more episodes. <laughs> I am. In fact, I was going to say it when you were talking about wanting to see more of the, the, the action. So your hashtag eight episodes, hashtag mm-hmm. team Jude. Mm-hmm. Yes. The champion. Yes. The champion. That's right. Of eight episodes. <laughs> That's right. I, I, everybody Lord, pa- I love everybody that pauses. Yeah. <laughs> I am also a champion of eight episodes <laughs> of the MCU shows. I was surprised looking back that Loki was nine. Uh, uh, WandaVision was nine episodes. Was it? Yes. Or was, was it Loki? No, no Wanda, the WandaVision was, but that was because yeah. um, it's it at six hours. They're, they're tied. They're tied to that six hours. And because some of those episodes were the sitcom, 15 minute minutes. Ah, <laughs> uh. You know, you're, you're still getting that. So, like, we're going to get more She-Hulk because they're doing 30-minute sitcom style. Ah. Uh-huh. And so you'll get but more they're... episodes, but crunched together, it's going to be about the same time. Yeah, I, I I do think that's a... I hesitate to say mistake, but I, I do think that that is... Uh, I would like... I think two more episodes would give us time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And give us a little bit of a breath when we need a breath, and fill in some of the spaces that were sort of rushed through. You know, I do think 
when I said earlier about that, the decision to do multiple seasons or, or another to continue the story somehow was made late in the game. I think you could see that in the editing of the, of episode six. Yeah, I think so. I think episode felt, six was re-edited after they decided to do more. Yeah, it felt, it felt shuffled. Yeah, it felt reshuffled. Yeah. It felt like there were bits missing that we probably would have seen if this was going to be a definitive end to Moon Knight on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, when I rewatched, uh, I enjoyed episode six a lot more than I did the first time. And and a part of that was the it was comparing it to episode five, which, like I said, is my favorite MCU episode of TV to date. Mm-hmm. Um, six had a lot to live up to after episode five, and it had a lot to accomplish. And I just think it was it, it rushed at, at times. Yeah, the uh, for as much as we praise pacing throughout the first few episodes, that sixth episode was just like wild. And if if we're on this idea of reshuffling of edits and cutting this and that i will my personal headcanon i feel like there had to be a jake scene whenever they were like i'm assuming that's not you no just the way everything was building up with the camera swerving around them like something was about to be revealed Mm -hmm. it really felt like there was something missing there and it 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 interrupted the rhythm of the fight i i (laughs) think in a in a negative not in a hugely impactful way, but it did. Uh, it they know way they know uh, country for old men. Us, that's what they <laughs> did. You guys know that film? I've seen it. It's I, been a while. I, it's yeah. It's a film that intentionally deprives you of the climactic fight. Oh, and okay. It's, and it's yeah. it's the novel does it as well, but the, I think the novel succeeds and the film doesn't quite succeed. And I say that as a massive Coen Brothers fan. Uh, I think. The, the movie that they made after that, Burn After Reading, does a much better job. Mm-hmm. Burn After Reading also pulls the rug out from under you in the final act, but in a way that works. And I don't think it worked quite that well in No Country for Old Men. But that is what they did in Episode 6 of Moon Knight. The, the, the Jake slaughter scene um, felt like obtrusively missing. Mm-hmm. And it, it well, interrupted the rhythm in a big way. Yeah, that and I felt like um, the scene back at um, the mental institution, mm-hmm. and then he's like, "Hey, I can leave." That felt out of place. Uh, wait. So the final scene <clears throat> when they show Harrow bleeding. Yes. Okay. When they're like. We could stay, but we'd rather save the world. Right. Yeah. That felt that felt like out of place or out of sequence. Yeah, I agree. And that and that was the the other big like oh this really got reshuffled. Yeah, it did. It it felt just as being a massive TV and film nerd and paying attention to editing and pacing and stuff like that. Yeah, I think I te- I think reshuffle reshuffled was the term that I used when I texted Jude, and that's. Mm-hmm. That's the way it feels to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The cards were laid out differently initially. And then they got, maybe they got to go ahead from Marvel or Disney or whomever uh, to make more. And then they had to like re-edit. And it's, like I said, watching rewatching it, it's a great episode. There's a lot oh, yeah. of fantastic stuff in it. I, I just think it suffers in comparison to episode five. And then it had so much to accomplish that it does feel rushed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've we've definitely talked about the six episode limit 
And I don't know if we ever brought this up on pod, but we've we've had this discussion before, Jude and I, where we used to think like, okay, maybe it's a budget thing. These shows are trying to capture that film look. But Star Wars hits eight episodes pretty mm-hmm. regularly. And as just on a pure numbers level of entries, the MCU's got to be pulling in more money at this point. Like, I, I don't understand what it is about the six episodes, but it's getting to the point. I said last week, it is severely limiting the heights at which these shows can reach. Um, yeah, I agree. Feel like until we start seeing more time, because I mean, go back to all the way to WandaVision. One of the first things I said was, this is the MCU if it had time to breathe, unless it's the sixth episode. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. there's no time to breathe. <laughs> right. I don't, I, uh, I don't think it's budget. I agree with you there, because we're, we're talking about Disney. You know, I, I don't think budget <laughs> is the issue. I think it's more about um, coordination of schedules. I think it's more about got to get this very in-demand actor for six hours of, of television. You've got these in-demand directors and producers, and everybody's got a different schedule, and you're also mm-hmm. dealing with the pandemic. You know, we, we tend to forget, you know, that COVID is still affecting productions. Mm-hmm. But I can almost guarantee you COVID had some effect on, on Moon Knight. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think it's more to do with other factors than it is budget. Mm-hmm. But I I would I I I think Jude is spot on the money. I think eight episodes of thirty to forty ish minutes would would fill in the gaps without mm-hmm. without treading water or without spinning our wheels any. You know. Like I there were there were moments in Moon Knight where I thought you know, we were spinning our wheels a little bit, but then there were like the back half of the episode would be filled with revelations or something too. So, I mean, it wasn't perfectly paced, um, but I think 10 episodes is too many because I think you do tend to fall into wheel spinning with 10. I think eight is perfect. I think eight episodes would be great. Come on, Kevin. Come on. <laughs> and I'm not going to complain if it's like, you know, one or two of the episodes are like 25 minutes long. If that's how long that chapter needs to be, fine. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, and the way I keep saying it is, is if it's, you know what, if it's six episodes, fine. But I, I don't, I don't like that they go into it with six hours in mind. Yeah. Rather than say, what's the story we want to tell? And, oh, this is a story we're going to tell, and we need eight episodes, or we need six, we need seven. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like, what, whatever that is, tell that story, and, and that's, that's where I get, well, I mean, think about films, right? You don't go in necessarily, well, I mean, rule of thumb in a script, page per minute, but it's not like they're going into infinity war in game saying I must have three hours. No, they're going to, they're going to write the script. They're going to tell their story and then they're going to shoot it and they're going to edit it, you know, and, and tell the best story possible. And here's our runtime. And so that's why I don't understand why here. Yeah. The, the, the time comes first. Yeah. But I, there may be some answer out there, you know, if we did enough research where we get a, like a hard answer, maybe Disney has some sort of like market research that says that people will f- lose interest after six hours. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's, there's maybe some marketing reason behind it, you know, but I, I agree. I think you, you should just take as long as you need to tell your story. Mm-hmm. And if you, if it takes five episodes to tell your story, make it five episodes. Yeah. You know? 
it's 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 just about like you said it's serving like like in a film like you you write the script first and then you you submit your quote unquote final draft to the studios and then they say this is fine or they say you got to shave 10 minutes off of it or whatever mm-hmm. to go in with a with a limit like that i do think affects the writing and storytelling just to reiterate uh, i'm not going to say any spoilers but it's it's making the rounds that apparently one of the original cuts of Multiverse of Madness was 30 minutes longer. And it just, it for whatever reason, it just got shaved down, you know, 30 minutes because that is that is the story they wanted to tell versus what they shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, JD, that's I- like, that's right out of the Raimi playbook too. Like Raimi <laughs> tends to like, there, there's a lot of stuff cut from every Raimi film. Really? Yeah. And and it's, Multiverse is, is a Raimi film. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sticking sticking to Moon Knight, I'm still in love with what you said of it's not even the episodes have to be an hour. It's just what's appropriate. I immediately harken back to, I don't know if either of you have seen it, but Squid Games? Has anybody here? I have not. I have not yet, but I want to. It's on my, my queue. Uh, again, no spoilers. The second to last episode is half shorter than the regular one hour time like I, it was literally like about 30 ish minutes and i remember thinking like i've never seen that in a show where it is sh- a significantly shorter than the other ones and it was such a breath of fresh air because it was kind of like the the story like taking a moment to catch its breath and then we jumped into the finale i would love to see that more in 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 these seasons where it doesn't feel like all right we need an hour kind of thing yeah mm-hmm. yeah that like a, the, there were probably episodes of if we had done eight eight episodes of moon Knight, we could have done like a 25 minute episode here or there mm-hmm. you know because this is all this chapter needs you know and you could have done like i would have liked to have seen more more um layla mark stuff where we got more into their background like when did they get married you know like they're they're they have a lot of questions about like their relationship that would have been nice to maybe have a 20 minute talking heads episode you know hawkeye mm-hmm. did that pretty well with the with that with the florence Pugh oh yeah Haley steinfeld uh conversation episode right that episode was yeah. mostly them sitting at a table having a conversation and there was a lot of exposition there but it was very natural feeling because it was funny and because they're you know everything flowed in a conversational way well i, that, I rewatched that episode or that scene by itself over and over you can recite it it's fantastic that's yeah. That's one of my favorite scenes in all of the MCU. Kate Bishop. Yeah, I probably could. Um, yeah. yeah, you're funny. Like she <laughs> says that. <laughs> well, I do want to. So we are hashtag teammate eight episodes. Teammate episodes. Yes. <laughs> yep. Speaking of episodes, I'm very curious because you did talk about Moon Knight lost you at a point. What point was that? Now that we're here in this disappointment section, uh, since episode three, mm-hmm. I think it is when they th- when they go to find the Medjai Sinfu's sarcophagus, mm-hmm. and it's the whole the fight with Harrow's people in the I don't know what the name of that Egyptian sport is, but the with the horses and the ring. Oh, okay. I, I don't yeah. remember what it's called either. I had, I had the guy's name written down. It was like Morgat or something. 
That sounds familiar, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the guy that, like, the power broker guy that they yeah. went to his mansion or whatever, because he was going to lead them to um, what they needed to find the Amit's tomb. Mm-hmm. Mogart. There Mogart, it is. Yep. What I have written down. That episode shifted away from the horror and shifted away from the questions of reality into a pretty familiar Indiana Jones feeling adventure show. Mm-hmm. It felt sudden to me. Like maybe there could have been little drips and drabs of those other elements in there, but they weren't in there. I do love the fight at the end of the show, particularly because it does show how much um, damage he can take. Yeah. In the suit. Oh yeah. And I always, and I loved every scene where Layla fought. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought like there was a whole, like we didn't, I don't know that we needed that episode. It felt like a MacGuffin. I don't like, we didn't really need that whole detour. You know, it, it reminds me whenever we did the, who is Moon Knight episode, you specifically mentioned Indiana Jones vibes of, and this was like years before, like a year before oh, yeah. we saw a trailer a year before we knew anything about it. And I remember thinking like, oh yeah. And so to hearken back to that now, there are moments where the Indiana Jones vibe works really well, specifically mm-hmm. in episode four, whenever yes. they're going through the tomb and it's like, it's a slow seed into the supernatural where we start to yep. see the heck and whatnot. Episode three is like the in media res of an Indiana Jones movie, except we just don't go anywhere from that. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was that was like, uh, I didn't get to guess, I guessed on that episode. I didn't get to show up for that episode, but I remember putting my pre-spoiler thought that said, it felt like I was missing an episode where mm-hmm. there was, it was just this, we pick up and in the middle of Mark chasing down these guys and I had no idea what was going on. And it just felt not the good kind of unsettling for the entire It episode. felt like a tonal shift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a, a tonal shift that wasn't, wasn't hinted at. Like it just felt sudden. I, I put in the, um, on the discord where, uh, where episode three lost me, episode four caught, brought me back because it took that tone that episode three had and it blended it in with the horror and the, what is reality stuff. Mm-hmm. Episode four is a great balance of, of all three of those tones. Mm-hmm. Well, what I, what I just find interesting is you mentioned this as like a MacGuffin episode mm-hmm. and I, I like that you put it that way just cause it felt it literally is like the, the, well, yeah, the it, Medjai's tomb is just a MacGuffin. Yeah, I mean, it's well, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's one of those things where we got to find a way to get both the protagonist and the antagonist into the same spot. One, there's only one uh, scarab. So, what what do we do to get them there? You know, oh, let's we got to do this. You know, it it's that whole the way Trey puts it, and then this happened. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't and I don't mean it necessarily as like it's was terrible. But, no. but you do get that feeling of like, okay, how do we get this person from point A to point B when they don't have the the, the things they need? Um, and yeah, and I mean, that wasn't the last Skywalker, <laughs> which is just a series of forty five MacGuffins. Um, Rise of the Fetch Quest. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my God, I love that. Uh, 
<laughs> I got distracted by how much I liked that joke. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't terrible. And I, I really dug the, uh, the, the, the brief Mark and Layla thing on the boat. And both had Oscar Isaac. So, okay. <laughs> yes. Best part of both things. Um, yeah, the, the little scene, the little moment they have in the boat on their way to the, to mm-hmm. the guys, to the power brokers mansion, uh, is very sweet. And also I think like, you get to, you see a little bit of like confident Layla, I think, for the first time, really. She has yeah. some great fight scenes yeah. in Harrow's uh, London compound, but you really see her as like she doesn't really need Mark mm-hmm. in that episode. Mm-hmm. You know, she's the one that knows Egypt. You know, she's the she's she's not a white guy. You know, for all intents and purposes, you know, she says like she says, uh, "Right place, right guy," but. What is she? There's a, I wrote it down, but there's some kind of line where she says like, you're, you're lost. Oh, she says, right man, right mm-hmm. place, but you're not Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Which is like taking her agency and, and mm-hmm. leading the story from there. I, I liked that a lot. And the touch of her like sipping out of that juice when right. she delivered that line is just perfect. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, I fell head over heels for me. Yeah. <laughs> Very easy to do. Just so capable. Before even the amazing Scarlet Scarab mm-hmm. reveal. It's like she's she's awesome. I wanted there to be a, uh, a Layla spinoff before she was revealed to be a superhero. Mm-hmm. Now it feels almost primed for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think she might be in the Young Avengers. That's what I'm hoping. Oh, wow. Oh, I could see that. As like a, a mentor role kind of thing? Well, she's pretty young. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, she, she, she might be a, in a leader position. Yeah. But I feel like that would be a good place to see her again. Mm-hmm. You know, I do want to circle back real quick because you both were talking about how episode three is like a MacGuffin episode and specifically how it's like, well, okay, well, we need to get the protagonist and the antagonist in the same room. I don't think there's an episode where Mark and Steven aren't in the same room as Haro. Like, Haro. Uh, I think yeah. every episode they meet, which is really funny to think of. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it starts, like you said, starts with Steven, uh, with Mark chasing down the, the members of the cult or the thieves or whatever they are. Um, you could, that could have been the moment where he got the information that he needed to mm-hmm. find the tomb. Okay. Uh, venturing to the power broker's house to, to, I forgot his name again. Margat. Bogart. Uh, it sounds like a jungle book name. Not Bogart. <laughs> um, it, I, don't, I don't think we needed to go there. You know, it was a great set piece. Like the fight in the big ring with the horses was was a great set piece. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't. It, there wasn't a whole lot of justification for it as a scene. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think that's a, a good glimpse of some of our disappointments. So we can go ahead and move into the next section. Basically, uh, our disappointments were there was not enough of what we. That's know, a good disappointment. We wanted to have. more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. High class problem. <laughs> well, and, you know, speaking of wanting more, that's going to take us into our lingering questions for the series. So, uh, starting with me this time, I think we've kind of touched around it a little bit, but my lingering question is how much longer until we start seeing more of those supernatural antagonists start popping up? And like, like the Hekka, uh, the Jackal. Uh, I loved that glimpse 
that we got into that that area. You know, I, I was miscorrectly calling it a, a werewolf when we first started the season. Uh, it turns out not to be the case, but it well, fe- it could it looked like a werewolf in the in the trailers, and Thank then there's there are werewolves in the comic run. So I was with you on that. So you like because I had no idea what to expect. My only compass going into Moon Knight was our conversation years ago, and so I remembered you mentioning Werewolf by Night. So whenever I saw the trailer, I was like, "Oh, Werewolf!" Like I just made the quickest. Well, jump I, to I think it. I think everybody, uh huh, made that made that jump. Yeah. yeah. So the, that, in that, the Jeff Lemire run, there are literally space werewolves. I remember uh, we, we made a joke. You were like, well, sold when I mentioned <laughs> space werewolves. So I thought that might be what they were pulling from, mm-hmm. but I was happy to be wrong. Infinity War 2 space werewolves. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that to me, that's my, my lingering question is just wanting to see those pop up more uh, in the MCU. Because I think they're a fun dynamic outside of the... Um, regular for lack of a better word henchmen that we get i know we've had some fantastical antagonists before but there's something that feels different about the the creepy nature of some of the ones we ran into this season and i thought it was going to be sort of a a workaround for the violence too Mm -hmm. to to obviously this is the most violent disney plus show to date Mm -hmm. and i thought one of the ways they were going to get around the censors was to have him doing incredible violence on mythological creatures incredible not, violence not, on something most people can't see apparently yeah, <laughs> yeah. right yeah yeah literally blocking the violence with his body um so, but uh there was there were actually more more deaths of human beings in the show that i expected that was pretty surprising mm-hmm. i mean layla kills people like she kills people. Yeah, <laughs> she shoots people with guns. You know, <laughs> she shoots them dead. I mean, it's... she shoots them dead. She, she blows up that truck, and those guys do not get out of that truck. She is the yeah. promise of Adrian too. <laughs> so I'm gonna kill them dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what about you, JB? What are some of your lingering questions for? Oh this God, are you ready? Here we go. <laughs> oh my God, I had. I had far too many to get into, but most of them, most of them have to do with Jake. When, when did, uh, when, when did Jake appear? Why isn't Jake part of the weighing of the hearts? Um, you know, I noticed in the final episode, the very last scene, I think it is before the post credit scene, when they're integrated and they wake up in Steven's apartment, uh, and, they, and they, they, I think Mark is in control and he, he trips. He gets out of bed and he falls down. Now, if Mark is the one who's been releasing those shackles every night, shouldn't that have just been second nature to him? So does that mean Jake is the one that's been opening those shackles every night? So That was one of my questions. I, because I, I thought, up, I brought up the idea of maybe it was Jake who was responsible for a lot of the violence in episode one, the stuff that Steven wakes up in and we just assumed it was Mark. But rewatching episode one today, Khonshu specifically says, surrender the body to Mark. So it's like, I don't know. Like I, I keep going back and forth of like, where's Jake? Where's Mark? Yeah, me too. What? Like I initially thought Jake, I thought that was Jake with the bandages in the asylum in episode five. Yeah. Well, I think uh, it and was. now I don't think it, I think it's Mark. 
No, no, I, th- I think you're right. I think that was Jake. And for, from the way the end tag went, Khonshu, well, he says, surrender the body to Mark. Again, it's one of those, Is how reliable is Khonshu? Right. Like they're, they're, he's manipulative. We know that. So at that, so at that point, he's probably saying Mark, even if it is Jake showing up, cause he's talking to Steven. Yeah. Well, That's also true. he says in that final scene that Mark has no idea how troubled he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Mark clearly does not know about Jake, but I, but I actually think, I think all that killing and that violence was Mark. And I think when we get into the organizing principle scene where we walk into the cafeteria with all of his victims, mm-hmm. I think that puts a pretty good, pretty solid period on that. Mm-hmm. Mark kills people. He was a mercenary. He killed a lot of people for a living. Conch, mm-hmm. told him they were evil, and maybe they were. Um, but I do think Mark is is capable of very of of horrific violence against people he perceives to be evil. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference between Mark and Jake is that Jake appears to be a complete sociopath. Yeah. I mean, he's, he laughs when he shoots Hera in that final scene, he's giggling like that. And, and he also like dominates that woman, you know, the nurse, you know, with, with some kind of magic or something, you know, he has some kind of like hand gesture that's off camera that causes the nurse to be all flustered and just let him take Harrow out of the, the asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he speaks Spanish, I think is another clue that I don't, I now think we did not see Jake until that very final sequence. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about that is, is Jake specifically Spanish only, or if yeah. that was just for whatever deception purposes, the language he knows. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but on the, the topic of, of being a psychopath, no qualms whatsoever about killing the staff. Like I can kind right. of see where right. like, yeah. okay, you know, he's Mark's got to kill these people that country says is bad. Fine. I can't imagine that those people were, I don't even want to say justified killing, but at least killing with the reason of like, they've done harm kind of thing. It is just ruthless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it took me to, to rewatching yesterday. But I did. I changed my mind on that. I really, at this point, think we did not see Jake at all until that post-credit scene. Mm-hmm. Man, now see, you're saying that now. I'm definitely gonna have to go read <laughs> to like really just fine-tooth comb because I started. To, I started feeling like we've seen far more of Jake than we realized. And I was with you until yesterday. <laughs> I would have agreed with you until I rewatched yesterday. Uh, I got two things. The first one, you brought up the the balancing of the hearts. If Jake's there, I was looking for it in our Discord. Fashion Jimmy, I think, has had the simplest explanation so far. Jake doesn't have a heart. <laughs> that was a ruthless <laughs> description of a ruthless man. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I think there might be something to that. Mm-hmm. Like, I also uh, laughed when Jimmy put that into the discord and i loved that i think i might have like you know literally loved it in the left the emote um but I, there might be some meat on that bone yeah you know, if, if jake mm-hmm. has no compassion in him if he is a complete sociopath maybe in the realm of the duat he doesn't have a heart 
Because mm-hmm. it's sort of like metaphor made reality, right? In yeah. a lot of ways, the duat. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my thought was that they didn't know about Jake, so they didn't know Yeah. another thing to be needed to be balanced. I think that's the other, that's, that's the competing theory. I think too, you know, is they just didn't, they're not aware of Jake. But it, it's, I mean, that's kind of flawed a little, you know, I, and that's my theory and I admit that it's flawed because it's like, you would think the, the duot and, and all that would, would know. Well, that's the question I think is would, would tower rat know? She yeah. might not because the, the gods are shown to be pretty limited really. Oh yeah. They don't seem omniscient at all. Uh. Who could be releasing Amit? (laughs) (laughs) Who could have done this? Right? (laughs) (laughs) So see that that was another that was another thing where I felt like there was a reshuffle because I felt like everything leading up to that point it felt like they were in on it the the help they got he you know from the other god now that I'm I'm forgetting osiris uh not osiris oh the the goddess of song yeah oh, yeah. yeah yeah so like all of that seemed like it was going to be a big deal and then that got really downplayed in the end and, and so that's another another thing that thought okay there's a reshuffle here yeah you know i i tying right into that it's another one of my questions was why are the egyptian why is the Indian so weak why are they so easily beaten by Harrow? Why do they seem to pose no real threat to... They they pose a threat to Khonshu, but Amit doesn't seem to pay them much mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder if it's not... And they don't, they don't explain this in the show as far as I know. But in the comics, gods are generally powered by belief. The more mm-hmm. people that currently believe in a god, the more powerful that god is. And this is not just in the Marvel comics. It's in, you know, Terry Pratchett and like all kinds of literature. Um, if you go with that theory, it makes a lot of sense, right? Few, few people believe in the Egyptian pantheon these days. Yeah. But Harrow has been building an army of followers. Yeah. You know, not only does he have this London enclave, but wherever in the Alps they were where they made the trade. And I want to say that might be Laveria. Like I, I, I think that might be a very indirect Doom reference because mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. they ever say where that is, and the signs are in some kind of like Germanic language, mm-hmm. and they are there to pick up the scarab. There is an exchange made. The guy says that the the exchange was interrupted, meaning Mark right. got there busted up the exchange so who owns this magical scarab item that they are trading to harrow who in an alpine country would have access to magic and magical items dr doom dr doom you know and it's so funny because going into the season that's like my favorite personal (laughs) (laughs) sorry no go ahead Uh, uh at the beginning of the season everybody was like Oh, those cupcakes say Von D, something Von D. And then it was like, I forgot what the name was, but it wasn't Von Doom. Right. Of all names for a cupcake shop, Von D. Mm-hmm. 
it feels like it's going to be one of those things where we look back on like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So I wonder if that was not like an intentional misdirect, mm-hmm. but they were in, they were not in Egypt. Yeah. They were, yeah. they looked like they were in the Alps. They looked like they were in some sort of Germanic type country. Yeah. And Dr. Doom's Latveria is a Germanic country surrounded by mountains run by a guy who would have access to things like the scarab. Yep. hundred percent. Right. Just, just wanted to highlight the, the emphasis of how everybody said it was going to be that. And then it wasn't, if we, if it turns out to be true, I want, I want everybody to think of this moment where JB just laid it out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, you know, they do, they've done this a few times where they swerve, you Mm -hmm. know, there are a couple of swerves in multiverse Mm -hmm. that I won't mention. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so getting back to my point was that Harrow had a, who knows how many followers he had in Latveria, which by the way, yeah. another like nod toward doom. There were no cops getting in the way of this sizable collection of followers that Harrow had amassed here. So the local authorities seemed to be okay with it. Right? Yeah. So if doom runs Latveria and he's like, oh, you can have your little cult compound here, you know, we'll do business. You're obviously not going to, you know, get in the way of my plans or whatever. Um, but yeah, so it, so if God's powers are based on belief, it would track how easily Hera was able to defeat the Ennead. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's fair. But it's a question. I think it's a question worth asking. Mm-hmm. Why weren't the Ennead more powerful? Oh, there was only space for seven of them on the graphic. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, Osiris, right? You would think with a, even just a cursory knowledge of Egyptian mythology that I have, Osiris is a big name. You would think would have big power to go with it. That guy doesn't seem to have much power other than he opens the gates, you know, he saves Mark and Stephen to some degree, but he gets his butt whooped pretty quickly. The only pushback I could have is that was only the avatars of the gods, not the gods themselves. Right. And specifically, Khonshu mentions, we need the might of the gods, not the avatars, I think, in that episode. So it could be that they're not at full strength. But in terms of, like, importance of the story, the strength isn't there either. So it's not even just, yeah. like, power levels. Kind of and Khonshu was able to manifest in his as himself, mm-hmm. you know, in well, the t- temple or whatever, right? True. Mm-hmm. So why couldn't they very quickly jump out of their avatars? Hubris. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Or, you know, they said, we we made a decision to step away from the fairs of mankind and to not, not interfere with humankind. Maybe in doing that, people stopped paying attention to the idiots, stopped worshiping them as gods, and their power waned. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think it's a question worth asking. Jude, what about you? You uh, you got any lingering questions that we haven't uh, touched on yet? Not really, <laughs> actually. Uh, I mean, I mean, a, I mean, because you know, I feel like we've covered it pretty well. Um, but I, I think, I think for me, the most the, the thing I truly just I I would really want answered uh, centers around Jake, uh, and something we mentioned earlier about more of that uh, Mark Layla, you know, what happened, how they get married, how they, how that go, they go about 
Um, what was that like of Mark hiding Steven? Was it difficult? Was he truly um, gone or suppressed? Uh, but again, Jake, where did he come from? You know, and so, so I think, and I think that's the thing for me, the, that's where I think the intag was so effective is that was the, that's the thing I'm still left with. That's lingering about, tell me more of this. To that point, one of my questions was, um, Mark says in the cafeteria with all of his victims, he says, uh, I'm trying to find it, but basically he says, murder changes you. Mm-hmm. You, you kill one person and it changes who you are, which made me ask the question, could that have been when Jake spawned that... to protect Mark from his own actions, from his own conscience, the way Mark protected Steven. If Steven was, was originated from the trauma of his mother, it makes all the sense to me in the world that Jake would originate from the trauma of taking a life. Like after right. doing right. it so many times, like I, I really think you're you're spot on with that, because that's a full cafeteria. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a <laughs> lot of people in there, right? Yeah, I can't find the exact. I have so many notes, guys. Was it uh, wherever he says you try killing someone and see which ones you forget, or something like you that? You try taking a life, see how quickly you forget. That was close. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting phrase too. Mm-hmm. The word choice. See how quickly you forget. Like maybe he needed to forget after he killed that first person or the hundredth person or whatever. And that's what created Jake. Although I think there are some clues that Jake may have existed before Mark. (laughs) You know, maybe Jake created Mark and then Mark created Steven. Gotcha says Mark has no idea how troubled he is. And Jake drives away in a limousine with a specter plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed which, that. Which would be, the specter from the comics is the billionaire playboy. Right. Who would have a match, who would have a limousine with his name on it. So it's not Lockley, it's specter. So is there a whole other persona to Mark that Mark doesn't know about? Why does that limo have specter on it? I'm convinced we're getting a season two. I really, I really am. <laughs> There's just no way. Mm-hmm. There's so many lingering questions we've touched on that I can't imagine it won't get picked up at some point. This, uh, yeah. I mean, I have so many, so many notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving along, I feel like I'm going to be able to guess, but we'll go ahead and do it anyway. JB, what was your favorite episode of the season? Oh, the Indiana Jones episode? Episode three? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I love a MacGuffin. No, uh, <laughs> it's it's episode five. And it's it gave me everything I like in Marvel, mm-hmm. in MCU, which is reality, a grounded, humanistic, emotional reality, coupled with awesome action and over-the-top comic bookiness. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, uh, my generation were, were pretty profoundly affected by Watchmen. Watchmen was really the first comic that took superheroes and made them into real people who would make terrible decisions, you know, with all this power and with all the flaws that, that people have. And while I don't think every story needs to be Watchmen, 
doesn't need to be that dark. But Watchmen affected comics as a whole, including Marvel Comics. And there was a move after Watchmen to ground heroes, ground, you know, fantastical characters Mm -hmm. in some kind of realistic human emotion. Right. Including the ugly stuff. And showing something as horrific as Mark's mother, you know, being so broken by the death of her child and Mm -hmm. not getting the help that she needed, you know, that she would psychologically and physically torture her own little boy. That's heavy stuff. You know, like I, I appreciated when you guys did your episode five episode that you all just kind of like came to a standstill when you got to that part, <laughs> you could tell everyone is, you know, you, you guys and, um, slushy, slushy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. slushy um, yeah. the, the three of you were all like, how do we talk about this? Yeah. The hardest you ball know? I've ever thrown to Jude. In this series. <laughs> this is yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it is, it is poor Jude that gets stuck. <laughs> to tackle that. Uh, that's all right. I love Jade. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, it, it was tough. It was really tough. And yeah. But it's, it's real. It happens. You know, I, I, I can tell you it happens from personal experience. You know, I, I, I've, I've lived with a parent who needed help and who acted out in ways that were damaging to children. And I have lots and lots of friends who went through the same thing. So I don't think just because this is a comic book or an adventure story or uh, a fantastical story that we have to pretend those things don't happen. Mm -hmm. My favorite stories are the whole breadth of the world where these deeply troubling, realistic things exist. And also there's a big ass uh, hippo driving a boat (laughs) through the Egyptian (laughs) underworld. And there's a fight with sand zombies, which is badass. You know, I think we can have it all if they are written in a balance. And I do, and I think episode five of Moon Knight is the best balanced episode of MCU TV period. Because I feel like we get the whole breadth of what fantasy storytelling is capable of. Mm-hmm. Easily my my favorite episode of Moon Knight, my favorite episode of MCU television today. Outside I'm, of I'm Daredevil gonna, season one. I'm going to follow that because, uh, yes, episode five is my favorite. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, I, I don't, I can't, I'd only be echoing everything that JV just said, but it, it, it was... Episode five, it felt like it had it all, you know, in yeah. the sense of there was humor, there was, it was dark. Uh, it was just the psychological study of it answered character. questions. Um, it was amazing. Yeah. It's uh no surprise. It's episode five for me as well. As uh, heavy as that episode is and is, and, and to like, Jude echo everything you so eloquently put about it. The for every quibble I may have with the Disney Plus shows, every every one of them, I'm sure there's something I've, I've pointed out that made me upset. Every one of them had an emotional core to it. WandaVision, the previous on, previously on episode, 
Falcon and the Winter Soldier renewing the the feeling of the shield after it had been corrupted by uh, by the intense fight, the bloodied fight. Uh, on and on, these shows capture the emotional engine of the escapism of superhero, of like what it is that really takes flight when you can have the almost limitless feeling of being a superhero, but the limitless needs to start from somewhere real. And episode five brought that realness in a way that I don't think, not just the Disney Plus shows, I think the entirety of Marvel Studios projects. It is as hard as it was. It was beautifully performed, sad, but beautifully performed. It was, it's one of those episodes that stays with me long after I've seen it. And it's, it's, it's an achievement, I think for Disney plus. Yeah. And it doesn't, and that's, that is the secret of Marvel and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to go this far every time Mm -hmm. to achieve the same effect. Like I, I was thinking about when you were talking, I was thinking about the opening scene of Endgame when Tony is recording the message to Pepper mm-hmm. when he thinks he's going to die, when he's floating on the, that's, that's Endgame, right? The very yes. beginning. It's you. It's always you. He thinks he's never, right, right, right. That is a powerful emotional center. And the reason that I love the MCU is because they don't discard those. You know, they don't, a lot of fantasy adventure films written by producers mainly <laughs> Sonyverse uh, will um, <laughs> will think oh people don't want to they don't want to be made uncomfortable by those you know those real un- those troubling you know, moments that are actually like moments uh, shared shared moments of the human condition right you know we we read great literature you know we read Catcher in the Rye because it's about a universal experience of a, of a teenager in crisis. You know, we read um, to kill a mockingbird because it realistically talks about the racial problems in America. And these things are not pleasant to read about, but they're important. And I think that is what makes literature literature. That's, that's what, that's what makes worthwhile art worthwhile. You know, is we all, we, we, we think we're disconnected and we think that we all are the only ones that have these doubts and these fears and these horrible experiences. But when we talk about them with each other, we find, I personally find so much relief and so much kinship in knowing that other people have been where I've been in my darkest moment, somebody else experienced that same thing and they found their, their way out of it. Or maybe they didn't, but it just, just knowing that, you know, humanity is messy and a lot of it is dark and unpleasant things that we don't want to talk about, but I think there is value in talking about those things. And it tends to be how the arts as an industry separates quote unquote art from quote unquote, um, entertainment, right? So you've got your Martin Scorsese's saying oh they're you know marvel is not cinema or whatever well i disagree i think there are mo i think that moment in episode five of moon knight is is pure cinema as deep and as affecting and as humanistic as anything scorsese's ever put in a film and then there are moments in scorsese films that are just schlock entertainment you know so i i don't i, I hate the simplification of that 
you know. Like I was reading today that um, uh, Elizabeth Olsen made a similar statement. Well, all the people that trash Marvel films as not being cinema, not being art, are disparaging all of the hundreds of people that work so diligently to make the MCU experience what it is. You know, the <laughs> yeah. set designers and the musicians and every single one of those hundreds and hundreds of people are working their butts off to create you know a cinematic experience that yes transports us yes uh you know is is a form of escapism but also contains these artistic humanistic mm-hmm. moments of of shared experience you know so that Moon Knight episode 5 is to me the perfect balance of what I love about American adventure fiction. You know, going back to uh you know um like uh White Fang, what's the guy Jack uh London the earliest Jack London. Jack London, thank you, Jude. Um going back to the roots of American adventure fiction which at that time was it did, didn't have the stigma to it that it does today. You know, we think about mm-hmm. Jack London as being a, f- a formative American literary artist. Mm-hmm. He was he was telling adventure stories. You know, my favorite novel is The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon, which has fantastical elements all through it. Also about two best friends living their lives and all of the weird you know, uncomfortable, messy moments of, of being human on mm-hmm. top of it. Um, so I, I will always rush to the defense of adventure fiction as art and at yeah. least capable of, you know, containing moving artistic moments. Man, that steps down off soapbox. Sorry. No, I mean, that was so <laughs> eloquently put. And I think you've, you've captured the love of, of episode five and, and what it mm-hmm. brings to the table. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> that was really nice. In other words, bite me, Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, the last... We all landed on episode five? Did, did we I, yes. all land on that as our favorite? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you came in on that one too, right, Jude? You did mention Yes, episode... five. Yeah, okay. Uh Moving on, the last thing we got, just kind of a general summation of everything we've been talking about. If we were to distill it down into one lesson for the Disney Plus shows to learn, what uh, what lesson would you like to see learned from Moon Knight? Uh, we'll start with you this time, Jude. Uh, hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm, what, what trips me up is I want to stay away from, from what I feel is going to be the obvious of what, you know... Um, I would expected. Go for it. Well, I mean, the obvious of like, um, in terms of episodes and, and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, so like, I, <laughs> yeah, don't want to go for that. Uh, the, the big lesson learned that I'd say to push, to push forward, you know, I'd say the same thing that we got out of WandaVision and Loki. Give us something as much as I loved Hawkeye, it's probably my, one of my favorites, if, if not my favorite series, I just loved it. Now get creative push, you know, give us, give us something different. Try that something different. Um, you know, and, and go ahead and explore that ground, 
that's that's the one thing I I would hope that they they get from this is that it it worked with WandaVision, it worked with Loki, it worked with Moon Knight. What are, let's do it again. Yeah. I think that's a great distillation because it, it does seem like we have that cadence of you have the weird experimental and then you have the grounded like Falcon and Hawkeye kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I like that a lot. JB, what about you? What's your lesson learned from Moon Knight? I agree with Jude that like, don't be afraid to experiment is a big part of it. I rewatched some of WandaVision recently for, uh, to prep me for multiverse of madness. And, um, I was sort of uh, appreciative all over again for uh, appreciative of the things that Jude just mentioned that WandaVision did take so many chances that, and that was our first Disney plus film uh, show, right? It was first one. Yeah. So right out of the gate, they're saying we're doing things a little different here. You know, this, this is, this is not an MCU film in which you come to expect certain beats at certain points. Mm -hmm. This is, we're going to F with the format a bit, you know? And I think that's how you keep storytelling fresh. You know, writing by numbers gets old fast. And I, I think, you know, the, the invention, the, the willingness to experiment, is a big, big thing. And the other thing I would say is uh, along those same lines, don't be afraid to tackle sensitive subjects. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to show the messy side of being human because that's, that is sort of at the core of, of Marvel storytelling. You know, we, we, it's, it's been told so many times that it's kind of lost its effectiveness, but like Spider-Man, the marquee character of Marvel comics is born out of a horrific tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, his father figure is shot to death because of his negligence, essentially. That's rough, man. That's heavy stuff. You know, and just because it happened in a comic and over, I don't know, five or six panels or whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, it's easy to to forget just what a, what a, you know, people have lived through that. You know, that's the real messy thing. And so I think episode five of Moon Knight shows you that it is possible for us to have it all. Like Jude said, it's, it's possible for us to, to, to mix high art and entertainment in a really just perfectly seasoned stew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel I feel like I'm coming in around that same spot of the experimental nature of it, not being afraid to lean into the the, the human emotional core of it. Um, I really, you know, mirroring Jude's that leaning into the experimental, the creepy, and the weird. I would like to see them learn they don't need the bombastic finale. Like we've already seen mm-hmm. that that Loki's proven you don't need it. This show felt like it was on track to not need it because it was for two episodes. We just put a halt to everything, and we were in that psych ward. We were in the afterlife, and the show was it felt confident in those two sections, and I thought it was really great. I want to see them continue on to that path of like, like you said, breaking past the by the numbers, by the norm, just leaning into the 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 weird experimental nature that Disney Plus seems to be good at whenever it takes the mm-hmm. reins off. And I will I wanna just to um bolster 
Jude's point, and also, um, I said this when 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 I first texted Trey about uh, Loki, I had some issues with Loki, like I had some criticisms, but even then, I said this is my favorite finale. Mm-hmm. This is one of my least favorite shows overall, and that may have changed at this point, but definitely my favorite finale of the MCU shows because exactly what you just said, Trey. Because they didn't need the climactic fight. You know, that 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 finale is a conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's an incredible conversation. What <laughs> between three incredibly talented actors. You know, Marvel people complain like, oh, you know, it's just people jumping around, but what I want to see is characters sitting across from each other talking. Marvel has plenty of that. The MCU has plenty of characters just talking. Mm-hmm. And they do it incredibly well, and so that's that that conversation with he who remains is you don't you don't need a big fight. Mm-hmm. And I, there were you know, I actually texted Jude about the Moon Knight finale and said that I thought some of the action felt perfunctory. Like I, I even in even the Moon Knight finale felt like okay we you know give them the popcorn mm-hmm. that they've mm-hmm. been expecting. Um. But I, but on second viewing, I felt like that that episode was more was better balanced than I initially thought, and those fight scenes are filmed beautifully. Mm-hmm. You guys talked in the last pod about that, the running up the side of the pyramid, yeah, where yeah, the, where the camera tilts, yeah, You've got Harrow and Moon Knight like racing to confront each other. That shot where they're fighting in the foreground and the gods are fighting in the background, yeah. The the shot where you know uh, Harrow walks up to the it's a defeated Moon Knight. It was beautifully shot, and then the the stuff with with Layla, Layla getting her suit, Layla fighting. The moment that you guys discussed with the little girl, where she's like, "Are you an Egyptian superhero?" Mm-hmm. I teared up in that moment. Yeah, because like Trey said in the last pod, it is about inspiration. It is about you know that little girl had never seen an Egyptian superhero before, and suddenly she's like, "I could be a super. I'm Egyptian. I'm a girl. I could be a superhero." You know, mm-hmm. it was very easy, and it bugs me when when some people say, oh, well, "I can't relate to anybody that doesn't have this precise same experience that I have." Now, that's baloney. I think you got a problem if you can't relate to anybody <laughs> that's you know, um, because I fully related to that little girl. Mm-hmm. I I. I been as inspired by Marvel storytelling as that little girl was by seeing the Scarlet Scarab. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't, I wasn't as harsh on the Moon Knight finale uh, as I was after the first viewing. But having said that, that look finale beats it. Yeah. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. It's a, I feel a little contradictory because it's like, I want more Moon Knight. I want more of the action. But I think like, that's the level of confidence it had that it's still entertaining when we got the the minimal amount of that stuff. Like I, I could see a finale where we don't have the fights. As beautiful as it was, as imbued as it was with some of the discussions we had been having all season with them coming together as a cohesive team, I could see a finale where they didn't feel like they had to go that big and, and bring the story to a satisfying conclusion. Um, so yeah. I'll tell you what I want to see more of. Uh, Steven kicking butt oh yeah that was fun because that was a lot of fun right he's he's having so much fun 
when he realizes that he can kick butt in that suit. You know, <laughs> and it also it's like a it's a it's a character color to Steven that it, that is not obvious at first. I think because I think it's very obvious, like in the first episode, to paint him as sort of a standard cliche stereotype, like kind of a nebbish, you know. Like hey, he's just everybody's mm-hmm. doormat, you know. He's, he's he does he doesn't really have a spine. That's not true. I think there there's a little bit there's a little bit of sass to Stephen Number One, <laughs> right? Still he's a little sassy, rooms, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, please, I have no problem with that. I keep selling him right in front of my door. It's fine. Uh, he has a couple of little snippy moments where he's like he's got some sass, um, but in that first fight with um, the jackal and at uh harrow's london compound with the invisible jackal at first and he he punches him and he goes Wagwan! <laughs> which is like you know london street kid talk mm-hmm. that's like it's like london hip-hop talk but he's got a little bit of like a a little bit of a street kid in him you know and he, you see it again in the finale where he throws a couple of punches and he does that dust the he wipes the dust off his shoulder Confidence. He has a little, a little Jay-Z, like, wipe the dust off. <laughs> like, that's a little, he's got this little, little notes of, like, urbanity or whatever they are mm-hmm. to Steven that aren't immediately recognizable that you see as he's sort of revealed through the show that I loved. That's my favorite part of the, all the fights. And in, in aside from Layla, my favorite part is where he, he punches that dude, he wipes the dust off. He's like, yeah, look at me. <laughs> You know, I want to see more of that. I'm dying to see more of, of Steven, of Steven in his white Mr. Knight or not suit. JB, it, this was phenomenal. This was a very fun wrap up episode. I'm so glad that we got to have you on. Uh, Listen, I'm just chasing Leech for the five timers club. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to equip myself well so I can invite it back boys. <laughs> Because we we do get like a medal once we've been on five times, right? We get like a there's you guys you know we get like a belt, like a championship wrestling belt, like maybe right? maybe we should oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. take, take take that out, take that up with Leech, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we can get Leech to print us something. <laughs> I know, she has she has a three D printer. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Leech. Yeah. There you go. Oh, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live has the the five timers club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're, I'm gonna look into it. I'm gonna I'm gonna at some point sit down and and get a history of our guests and how many times they've appeared. I think for five at this point, it's probably between friend Daniel TK and leech. Those know. three, mm-hmm. I think are the, the, in the running for it. Mm-hmm. And it's not a competition, but I do think we should all have like a, like a, a variety style photo shoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's, like it's not do. a competition, but right. But we should all be dressed well. And, I want the trophy, and, and I'm going to be and the we most. Should, we should be given trophies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get to it. <laughs> no, in all seriously, it's this. In all seriousness, it's a it's a joy to be invited on this show. I love talking to you guys, and um, you you see, obviously, how much I think about this crap. <laughs> you know? uh, and while I have friends that are into you know the MCU, and even my mom, I can talk about the MCU with. Um, I can't really dig into it and really apply my little writer critic brain the way I can when I'm on with you guys. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's friggin' magical here. I love it. Thank you. I, Troy I love and Jade it. so are my fun. favorite podcasters <laughs> and always will be. 
There's a new mug. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh uh, like a, a percentage chance of you get the, the Troy and Jade mug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like Funko Pops. It's the chase. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the chase. Yeah, you get the chase variant. Oh, man. But of course, JV, seriously, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute blast. And if you all have been enjoying JB, make sure you're following them at JB Loves SAV over on Instagram. As far as this show goes, if you want to keep in touch with us or comment on any of the things discussed today, you can always reach us at MCU Need to Know, both on Twitter and Instagram. It's a wonderful place to, to help shape the show. Uh, I know we're going to be moving into a bit of a lull until we get to Miss Marvel, but we will always try and, and seed out a question related to whatever it is we'll be talking about that week on the podcast. So make sure you're following to get in on that. Yeah, go ahead and scroll down to the bottom. Click on the link for Discord. Uh, you can join us, talk in the community there. We've mentioned it a couple of times uh, in this recording. Make sure you click on the roll assign and click on the emoji. Um, if that's not your thing, there's a phone number. Give it a call. Drop us a voicemail. Get you on the pod that way. Uh, or even if we just read your thoughts. Uh, be fun to interact uh, with all of you listening. Um, and of course, in- interact with your friends. Share it with them. Yeah, I can I can speak to that. The Discord is a wonderful community of people. Yeah, I'm I'm so thankful for all the people that hang out in there. They uh they're a lovely crew, even like outside of just the MCU talk. Just everybody in there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah the MCU is, is really just a corner of a, the wider Trables universe Discord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I I I really I I. Every single person on there is is like has amazing contributions. It's, mm-hmm. If you're going to join a Discord, come join this one. Yeah, thank you. Well, we'd also like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on the SoundCloud, which is linked in the show notes as well. Well, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening, JB and Jude. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank, thank you, you JB. Thank you, Troy. We'll see you all next week. Troy. (laughs) Jaden Troy is going to be a thing this year. I can tell. It's all I hope for. My life. <laughs> it's it's the only thing I want. It's sticking. It's gonna stick. <laughs> I hope people enjoy it. I my head canon is that Troy and Jade exist in the alternate what if universe where Leech and <laughs> friend Daniel hosted the show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they are your variants for sure. Yes. <laughs> oh man. We did say when you disconnected though, or or JB said when you disconnected, it was a Kevin Feige snipe. He heard you hadn't gone to see it yet, and that's why he unplugged you. Just sitting at his master keyboard. He's just like, boop. (laughs) Not loyal enough. You know he has one of those. (laughs) I'm sure he does. I'll show you everything you need to know. (laughs) But yeah, he's got like a big MODOK head that he sits in. It like floats. He's got like little like trigger, like joysticks that he controls every response to the MCU. (laughs) Okay, I'm super shaky tonight. Okay. You okay? Yeah, it just keeps...
it keeps freezing on me. Do you think we should try and just do audio only for the sake of the recording? Um, I might turn my camera off. Okay. And y'all can, because it's just on my end. If we still have issues, we can all switch to just audio only, but we'll we'll go with this for now. Okay. okay. Uh, I already miss your face, Jude. <laughs> it's the beard. I already missed that beard. Hey! <laughs> I feel like that was a gift, like just for me. <laughs> that was a mitzvah. Thank you, Jude. Oh, man. 